Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode four of series eight of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. This week's episode was recorded in two parts. Let me explain. It was early February. Our producer Ian and I were in the US and we headed to the global headquarters of Merck & Co to record a podcast episode with Jeremy Shapiro, the Executive Director for Workforce Analytics. Jeremy is rightly considered as one of the most highly regarded and influential leaders in our field and co-authored one of the first articles I ever read on people analytics. The seminal Competing with Talent Analytics, which he co-wrote with Tom Davenport and Jeannie Harris and was published by the Harvard Business Review in October 2010. With the 10th anniversary of the article approaching, Jeremy and I thought it would be neat to reflect on the last 10 years, assess the considerable progress the field has made and ponder what lay ahead, including, as it turns out rather presently, discussing the increasing importance of empathy to analytics. As you'll hear, we recorded what I hope is a thought-provoking and stimulating episode, and we both look forward to putting the episode out to air. Then COVID-19 happened. Jeremy contacted me and we agreed that a lot had happened since that sunny day in New Jersey in February, and we both wanted to talk about the crisis together. And so exactly 100 days after our first conversation, we connected via Zoom to record the second part of this episode. In part one, we discuss how the Workforce Analytics team is organised at Merck & Co and talk through examples of their work. And we also look at the New York Strategic HR Analytics Meetup Group that Jeremy co-founded and how this has helped foster a thriving people analytics community in the Big Apple. After part one of the podcast, I'll come back and introduce what Jeremy and I discuss in part two. Also, to celebrate one year of the podcast, we thought we'd tell you a little bit more about our company, Insight 222. We set up Insight 222 to help our clients put people analytics at the center of business. Insight 222 is a global professional services firm providing leading edge consulting, learning, networking, and advisory services that enable organizations to deliver business value through people analytics and data-driven HR. Interacting directly with chief human resources officers and their key staff in people analytics, strategy, planning, and digital HR, our clients and partners include 70 of the world's leading organizations. If you want to find out more, please visit insight222.com or get in touch directly with me. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Jeremy Shapiro, Executive Director of Workforce Analytics at Merck & Co. to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And thank you for shooting this in your office as well. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Um, please can you provide listeners with a quick introduction to you and your background and also your role at Merck & Co. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks for having me. I am now eight months uh, tenured at, at uh, Merck & Co. So for those of us in, in Europe, it's known as MSD. Um, so this is a 70,000-person company that is dedicated to the pharmaceutical industry. So um, it, its goal is to, to save and improve the lives of, of people, and we also have an animals business as well. Um, I get to lead a, uh, a very, very talented people analytics team here that's been established uh, over the past decade or so in, 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 different, uh, in different iterations. Um, and that was just, that's, that's kind of my third chapter. Uh, right before this, I was at Morgan Stanley for about eight years and, and started their, uh, their analytics practice as well inside of, inside of HR. And that's where I got into uh, both sustainability world and kind of the external human capital disclosure world for yeah. 
whatever size world that is. Um, and then previous to that, I started my career at the Omnicom Group, that kind of multinational, uh, multi-agency um, agency uh, group there, where, where I was running a PL for them. I was building business that was that was HR related, where I got to uh, build some of the early uh, machine learning algorithms that are there, text parsers, uh, being able to understand what's going on, both from an applicant tracking standpoint at a company called Hotus IQ. Spent a little time at a company called Agency.com that's celebrated their 25th anniversary. So you know, I'm feeling like uh, you know you've been around a little while, and you, you know, sometimes you learn something. Well, you've yeah, certainly been in the, the workforce analytics space for a while, and actually you were the, one of the first people that I came across when I got into this space, uh-huh, I remember. and that was primarily through yeah. this seminal article that you co-authored with Tom Davenport and Gene Harris, yeah. competing on talent analytics in HBR back in 2010. Yeah. We're now in 2020, yeah. so it seems like yeah, a yeah. good opportunity to look back mm-hmm. a little bit um, and actually look at some of your reflections over the last 10 years and, and, and the progress that we've made in the space. Yeah. Um, you know, so if I think back to 10 years ago, it seemed like a good idea at the time to write about, and, and analytics had just become uh, uh, mainstream in, in, business, uh, in business parlance, uh, competing on analytics, which uh, Tom Davenport and, and Jeannie had, had written. Um, was with the number one selling book just a few a few years beforehand, and so um, it, it felt like a, a good time to talk about the human capital angle. You know, looking at it ten years later, I, I do wonder a couple of things. One is we we talked about a, a bunch of companies in the in the piece. How did they do? If the assertion was that people analytics can create competitive advantage. Okay, so now you know, Jeremy, you sucker. You actually got to live through those ten years. So, yeah. what 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 actually happened? So, um, I haven't opened this article in a while. So, I opened it up. I looked at the I looked at the the companies that are mentioned, and I have to say, if I if I were to compare the the uh, performance of the S and P five hundred to the companies mentioned, we might just match the S and P five hundred, and that's only because of one overperformer that uh, that was on the list. So. Yeah. Several companies don't exist anymore either. Um, the lens for me is one: um, is the is people analytics um, a something that creates competitive advantage for a company? And I think where where my head is at on that is it it might be necessary, but it certainly is not sufficient to create competitive advantage for a company. That's not a great um, a great revelation. Then the question is, if you're like 10 years ago, we asked a bunch of questions. We asked questions about um, how would you approach data in an analytics capacity inside, yeah. of, inside of HR? Um, what kind of people questions would you ask? Those kind of held up. I mean, if, if we want to try to predict um, attrition, not my favorite analysis, but it was, it was in there. Well, um, those are questions that you hear today, t- yeah. today as well. I think what it what doesn't really hold up so well, or if we were, if you were to rewrite it today, the entire um, the entire body of knowledge of machine learning, of process automation, and I mean, that's not a surprise. You've been talking about this for now years, but the acceleration inside of HR that that has created, that's the missing story. That's the story of where analytics is, is, I think, becoming more and more a necessity is because no one of us can keep up with the pace of change. Yeah. And so that acceleration is, is to me, something that was, uh, that was really, really unexpected. Um, and I think, for, I think for many of us, but um, is, is the one that where my head has been going more and more lately. Yeah, and a couple of things that kind of 
struck me was yeah. you as you mentioned a couple of a few of that couple of those organizations either aren't here anymore yeah. or they've certainly not outwardly sustained their capability in people analytics yes um and i wonder if that's partly because there's this challenge around upskilling hr mm-hmm. and you can have a great people analytics leader a great team but if you don't create that sustainable capability by enabling the rest of HR, if that yeah. person is pulled away to another company yeah. as a result of being in a great article, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and takes a couple of yeah. their team with them, then it yeah. can all fall down. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I don't know the inner workings of some of those organizations, but that sure. sense that could be one of the reasons why that yeah. might have happened. Well, I think I think you're right. And I, I can I can imagine that anything that is new is temporary until it becomes more permanent, yeah. too. So um, even even thoughts of employee self-service, well, just because um, employee self-service was available in an older HRIS doesn't mean that people automatically turned it on and that became the fabric of, um, of, the, uh, of, the, of the, the work itself. I think today, things that are settled work become settled work. And so uh, employee self-service or analytics have become a mainstay inside of, inside of many organizations, certainly not all, um, uh, too. But um, the more... The longer we go down this road, the more it just becomes part of the part of the fabric. So I suspect that that the the personality led era is is largely over, um, and it's now what why what is the business reason for investing in this way? And you mentioned as well the 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 introduction of machine learning since yep. twenty ten, and we're seeing that a lot more in HR now. Mm-hmm. Has that helped move the function from? maybe the periphery of HR doing some cool projects to actually the center and (laughs) almost in mainstream HR now because of the whole development of products that actually support, you know, career pathways um, that that actually support workforce planning and all these other Mm -hmm. important things. As Mm -hmm. you said, things are moving so fast now. We we need to bring data to that conversation. I I think on our best days, that's what happens um, to the promise of of AI, the promise of machine learning and the reality of the day to day when you're in the code and you're trying to solve a problem, um, the difference between between getting a result and actually being accurate and appropriately characterizing what's going on is is pretty big still. And so, um, as we as we're talking with wonderful, wonderfully talented partners on the outside, or someone that has a great a great startup idea, we constantly challenge what is the where where is the state of the art in whatever their whatever their uh, uh, technology is, whatever the machine learning is, and is it ready for prime time? And even when we're building uh, building uh, applications here, whether it's a whether it's truly an application or just a script or even a methodology, we think about it in terms of an experiment. And after a series of experiments become stable, we consider that to be a product. Yeah. And so those those products have features to them, but it's only when they're ready for prime time that they can really be used in a um, in a large scale way. So let's say you're getting contact, Harvard Business Review get in touch with you again, say yeah. we'd love you, you, Tom and Jeannie, to write a follow-up article yeah, to yeah. this, yeah. looking forward to the 2020s. What are some of the additional things that you've not already mentioned that you would, that you would bring into that piece? Mm. So I think, that, um, I think that we, I would probably want to write about um, the, the singular moments when leaders whether they happen to be HR leaders or happen to be business leaders, have, um, have a critical decision to make. What was the data analysis, insight, or analytic behind it yeah. that helped them 
get to that get to that point. Like I would love to interview twenty or thirty um, senior leaders like that and really get to the get to the core of this is a time when it was helpful. I'd, I'd interview a bunch of more people and say, here's the time when it wasn't helpful at all and you really missed the mark. Um, to to the, you know, the, largely, if you're not process automating something and, and you're not creating a scalable solution, there's a fair amount of people analytics work that is still influence-based. I'm trying to understand an insight. I'm trying to understand a result because I want to influence an important decision. Yeah. What's the, how does it really work? And what's the right level of effort that you need to, you need to apply in order to create the effect that you're, that you're looking for? Be good. I hope they do get in touch with you to do that. <laughs> so moving on a bit, I, I know I was always intrigued when I've seen you speaking before about uh -huh. the importance of storytelling. Mm. And I know recently you've been talking a lot more around the role of empathy and mm. analytics. Mm. You know, why is this and what is the relationship between the two? Yeah. Um, so... Empathy is an interesting angle uh, for for an analytics professional. Um, so I started to explore this just just a little bit, particularly as as I was training up new staff and trying to help tune teams to um, understanding business problems yeah. and understanding the result set that they are that they're finding, tying the result set to the business problem and in, in deriving insight. And what I realized uh, as as doing this over and over again is that the thing that wasn't connecting was an was an empathetic response. And so what I mean by that is as we as 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 human capital analytics practitioners can we put ourselves in someone else's shoes um, and really so that's cognitive empathy yeah. and try to understand what position are they in um, what uh, what problem are they dealing with what is the maybe even sometimes what meeting they just came from as well so you know it's it's frequently the case that um, that's that one of us may uh, go into an executive's uh, um, office, and that will be absolutely the biggest meeting that we have today. It's not the biggest meeting they had. They had a they had a very different day than than what what we're having. Just really understanding where you are in your uh, in your role, how you're trying to help uh, someone else, takes a degree of of, of empathy um, for it. Now, there's a different lens of of empathy as well that that's an emotional uh, an emotional connection. I find this really helpful, no matter where where we're talking about um, in the in the analytics uh, framework and, and working with analytics teams. If I happen to be a data scientist, I actively want our data scientists to be really thinking about the data, which is about people that they're working with. And so, you know, every every single one of their data points has a mom. Has a dad, has a family, has motivations, yeah. has a has a career goal, a career goal in place. And if we're not if we're not paying respect to our employees, we're not gonna, we're not doing justice to the organization, to the uh, to the employee base. And honestly, most of the time, you don't get the analytics right either. Um, too. So, I started to use that framework to tr to uh, to express how we can storytell better. And one one of the easiest ways to um, to express this is in that final layer when you're trying to build a deck uh, for a bespoke piece of work to someone senior. Um, you, you've heard, I'm sure, in, in your interviews, the importance of adding context to yeah. whatever whatever analysis is being is being presented. Well, it's much easier to, to think about context if you use an empathetic point of view. 
So if I'm if I'm really if I'm really focused in that on that end user, I might read something and say, um, well, the R squared value is is you know 0.62, and we find that to be credible. Can you can I buy a vowel? Right, the person that you're that you're expressing this to might not be might not be statistically literate, might not have the context to know why you, who naturally thought that, that was a no-brainer, um, might actually be something that you'd want to explain. So, how do you help to connect the dots between the point you're trying to make and the and the um, uh, and the person that you're trying to make it to? Um, and it's so far, it's been it's been quite helpful as a technique. And of course, you know, it, it makes perfect sense, and I love the way it combines that the angle with the ethics part as well, thinking about exactly the end right. user. Um, but for the storytelling part, it, it effectively means that if you really think about it, you're going to position that, the findings, the insights, very differently to different stakeholders because ultimately yeah. you want an emotional connection from them. Yes. And if you think about what's going to drive that, then yeah. that will make you tell that story maybe in a different way. The facts are the yeah. same, yeah. but you're just presenting them in a different way. You know, you bring up an, an interesting point. So we're uh, we're training uh, a series of cohorts right now. It's being led out of a um, we have an innovation lab that's at, not not an HR innovation lab that is training a set of speaking speaker trainers across Merck um, to help scientists and and other um, subject matter experts to present their uh, their findings to either internally or or at events. And one of the key groundings that uh, that we're using is our TED Talks as well, which have a methodology that that prescriptively talk about building emotional connections, attaching data to the emotional connection to drive uh, to drive an outcome in itself. So I think you're totally right that there's a there's a, a method to the uh, to that particular madness that uh, that creates good impact. So turning to your the role at Merck. Uh -huh. um, you know, how is the workforce analytics team organized? Yep. Um, and how does the team interact with the state key stakeholders in the business and HR? Yep. Um, so we've got a, a, one, a wonderful team, and, and it's it's roughly split into in, into two uh, types of functions. So one is kind of, is an internal consultant function. So these are uh, generally pretty senior folks. They are either industrial psychologists, they're economists who who are very very good at tying the um, tying uh, problems to uh, to research and, and working to conduct the research and then and then um, working to influence uh, the decision making process. Yep. We also have product teams as well. So we do have some dual hatting where uh, where a senior person may uh, own a product and also cover uh, cover an area. Um, the key areas that we think about right now are one insights at scale. Yep. Um, so kind of our our stack, our technical stack is. Um, uh, Workday, it's not even a year old yet. Uh, as a, so, a new deployment of uh, of Workday, WorkHuman is our is our recognition engine, and we have Vizier lying on top of right. uh, on, on top of that. So, the team that works on on insights at scale really focuses in on um, one: how do you get the basics out? Um, and increasingly, we're working on uh, the idea of getting the right data at the right time using you know using a tool like Vizier to um, to ensure that uh, HR business partners and others can segment the data easily and simply and understand the story you know moments before walking in to a um, to a meeting so that's kind of the first tranche um, we're standing up an employee listening um, strategy as well and so making that transition uh, that many have yeah. to from from surveys to a more a more fulsome approach um, 
We also have a, we're standing up right now a formalized data science, uh, data science unit, and you know, Bennett uh, has now joined the team, so he's, uh, uh, he's leading that up for us, and we're very happy to, to see uh, very, very fast progress there as well. And then we, we, con we continuously are looking at workforce planning and organizational uh, structure and design and so forth, and what, what's the role of analytics in those areas. And it's quite interesting, you mentioned that the team here has been, well, there's been a team here for over 10 years. Yeah. And it's interesting that all those specialities as such have all come coming under the people analytics, workforce right. analytics hat. Right. And I think that's a sign of a reasonably mature or mature function. Well, you know, I think yes, and and it's the the because we reinvent all the time. I think many of us do inside inside of companies. Is um, we the challenge there? The special challenge for us is is asking ourselves, what do we do it that way today? Yeah. which is a common cultural uh, question that you would want to ask anyway, too. But it, it's also important for us mm. uh, to make sure that, that we are, our assumptions are constantly challenged in understanding where we're, where we're at, where we want to be. So, turn it again, looking at the work at, um, at Merck that uh -huh. you're doing, is, is there an example of a project that you can share with listeners? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, as of late, I think as, as many companies are going through uh, transformations, as, as we talked about, acceleration. Um, one of the ways in which we're, we're accelerating learning and accelerating kind of the speed of decision making is something that we've nicknamed internally ways of working. Not very nice. It's, it's, a, it's a good catchphrase for us to, to work through. Mm. What's interesting is that the, the ways of working that we've defined and are, and are working, with, uh, working with our employees about um, was fully derived from, uh, from the survey, from, the, from our voice survey uh, itself. In using the voice survey, we were able to, to create um, more precise messaging and really target areas that both resonated for, uh, for our employees and uh, also drove the types of actions that we're hoping for um, as well. So it, it really is a testament to a, to a wonderfully strong survey team um, on, on our side, some great, some great thinking. But then the motivation of, uh, of the executive team to say, this is where we'd like to go. Yeah. Let's, let's actually let's make sure that we're, we're expressing this in a way that resonates. And I thought it was, it's, you know, it's, we're, we're still mid-story for it, but it is a, uh, it's a great linkage of, uh, of an analytics project, organizational uh, organizational priority, and then uh, formed into uh, into impact that within a pretty short period of time. And of course, that's so important because you see so many of these projects happen, and then no action happens. And, yes, you know, and, and that's frustrating, I guess, for the for the people contributing. Taking you know, the time to the it, it's interesting you say that because we, we talk about we talk about that that a lot. So I I do take a longer view of project work, and so there's some things that we do that are uh, that are that are relatively quick service. You know, kind of. So if um, if there is a natural disaster, there's something that's that may be impacting our employees. We get quick data to to our senior leaders right away. Here's a map of what's going on, and here's the here's the path of a hurricane, or here's here's the the, the impact. Yeah. Those those things are are pretty quick. There's some other there's some other topics like this that take such a such a long burn rate mm. that um, I I tend to stay optimistic that if uh, if it doesn't if we don't yield a result in the time in which we expected well that's either two issues there one is my expectations were too <laughs> were, were too high on when it was going to occur or I didn't I didn't I was not influential enough to try to get it done when it needs to get done if you use a sufficiently long time horizon however. It, it really does help, particularly with motivation and keeping people uh, 
keep, keeping uh, um, the, the projects going. Great. Well, it'd be interesting again next time we speak to see how that, that's evolved <laughs> uh, moving forward. Um, again, you've given a lot to the community. Um, you set up the New York Strategic HR Analytics Meetup Group a few years ago now, and I've had the pleasure of coming along yeah, to yeah. a couple of the meetings. Yeah. Uh, Stella Lupershaw, who's one of your co-organizers, yes. we had her a guest, a guest on a previous episode of the show, mm-hmm. and she told us all about it. But what I was wondering from your perspective as an analytics professional or an analytics yeah. leader, you know, what is the importance of what makes the group so special, firstly, mm. but also what is how important is collaboration to to the to yeah. the analytics community? Yeah. Um, so one, thanks for saying that that it it, it contributed. I, I will say that the the story of how it started was a lunch where someone new to the analytics community said. Um, could you set me up with um, with contacts for another ten or fifteen people to have the similar lunches? And I think the conversation went something like, "I'm not sure I can do that, but I could fill out this form on Meetup.com." Yeah, it was it was that type of that type of thing. And Stella coming in, which you know, so uh, everything revolves as not surprisingly around Insight two two two. John Jonathan Farrar actually introduced me to Stella as well, and and what a, she's an amazing partner and thinker in in so many different ways. Mm. What what's so interesting to me about how this is uh, how it's grown over the past few years is that analytics in uh, in HR in companies can be a lone task, and even with all of the um, technology and ways in which we can connect and using LinkedIn to broadcast uh, uh, you know the con- conferences that you can't get to, all that being said, there's something about Sitting down with friends and peers over a couple of hours, yeah. maybe sharing an adult beverage and talking about what's going on with uh, with their organization that that has been that that's been resonating. Um, I, I heard there's there are like ten or twelve meetups that have kind of uh, that are using the model around the world as well. So Stella and I will sometimes get emails from uh, from relatively smaller organizations or from countries that we wouldn't have expected where they just held their first meetup. Yeah, as well. You know the um, the the conversation that we that we have at these at these meetups is a um, uh, definitely is proof that uh, if you're in this particular area, if you're in analytics, you want to talk and you want to network. Um, the value to to me and I think to a lot of folks is is that acceleration problem that if you know that the pace of learning is no longer linear, mm-hmm. well, you better have a bunch of friends. You, know, you need people that you can work with in order to to stay on top of what's happening. Uh, what's happening um, next? Because the next conference that comes up, there's a whole new uh, uh, stage of thought that that you have to absorb incredibly quickly. And it's not just us. It's not just not just in HR in the medical community. You see the same thing going on yeah. where the pace of change is now nonlinear. That is that is causing all organizations to to think of ways to learn faster and more with, with greater agility as well. Well, that brings us to the last question, okay. which is one we're asking everyone on the show at the okay. moment. AI and automation, mm-hmm. do you see them as an opportunity or a threat to HR? Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely an opportunity, but what a surprise that, you know, I, w- I would say that. But the... Um, it's the thing that I think is the most exciting about about HR is talk about thinking through talent strategy in itself. We so if, if we're thinking about um, leveraging leveraging a workforce and kind of a, the the old adage of or am I building? Am I buying? Am I borrowing? Well, 
Now I can add to it and I can add, am I using a bot? Yeah. And now I can add to it, is this going to be a gig as well? Just, just that element alone of talent strategy is, um, is energizing to me and I, th- and I think will, is, catching, is really catching fire in, in, in so many different ways. The opportunities that, that people have today to accelerate their learning inside of HR and to help counsel our, our teams on the impact of, um, of machine learning to, to improve their uh, improve their own lives, I think is, in, is incredibly important. Perfect. Great answer. Well, that's part one of the podcast, which I hope you enjoyed. Part two focuses on the COVID-19 crisis, where Jeremy and I discuss how People Analytics is helping Merck & Co respond to the crisis. We talk about the work the team is doing around employee listening, both using active and passive data sources. We also look at how the crisis is acting as an accelerant to digital transformation and the work of people analytics teams. And we also ponder what the role of people analytics will be in the next normal. Enjoy part two. Well, Jeremy, it's great to see you. And a lot has happened since we sat down just over three months ago, I think it was, um, earlier this year, I think it was the start of February, to record a podcast episode. And we both felt that we wanted to talk about the crisis together. you know, what's changed over the past few months for you and your team and, and how has analytics supported um, the company at Merck? Well, th- thanks, David. And look, it's it's nice to see you and I hope you're staying healthy. And for everyone that's listening um, as as well, um, I, I'm sending best wishes from from here in New Jersey. Um, so it might be helpful. It, it's, it has been only three, uh, three months. Um, and so just to point anchor us in time, depending on when you listen to this, uh, since we're so we're recording this uh, about mid-May, five twelve, and if I'm looking at the Johns Hopkins uh, dashboard, roughly four point two million uh, people around the world have at least been actively diagnosed with uh, with COVID nineteen. Almost three hundred thousand have unfortunately passed away from uh, from from this illness. Um, and so, and it, what what's so interesting is over. The, even uh, day by day, week by week, um, the response has changed, thinking has changed, and this kind of accelerated, uh, this accelerated thinking um, certainly has has gone through. Uh, look for for us in at, at Merck uh, in in the HR analytics uh, team. One, I couldn't be prouder of them. I think they've done a remarkable job uh, transitioning quickly from uh, from an in person culture. To, uh, to a virtual culture. We were about 50% before and now we're 100% um, too. And what's, what's so interesting is for those of the team, and I think this is true for a lot of us that were physically close, we are now physically distant, but I think in many ways we're closer because we see each other so much now on video and are able to check in with each other on, uh, on, on a daily basis as well. So I think that's the first tranche is, is the differentiation between physical distance and, uh, and, and, the, and the connection that we have, the connectedness that we all have together. Um, I've certainly seen you more in the past uh, few weeks than, <laughs> than I have in there too. Um, the second is, is probably focus too, is how we have focused time and how HR has focused time in, in, such, a, in, in such an important way to, to help protect our employees' uh, well-being, to ensure the supply chain for, uh, for the organization um, is, has certainly been, uh, has been 
different. Um, and, and this word that we have heard so much of acceleration too. And, and I know we're not, we're not alone in this too, is the, in, in times like this, um, decision-making can be accelerated. Assumptions can be challenged and it changes the way that, uh, that we can work in, in ways to the, uh, to the benefit. Yeah, it's certainly been, and I know we, we've spoken, you know, outside this, this podcast as well. And I know one of the things that, you know, there is that real emphasis on, on well-being and it's kind of that shift from engagement. I think, you know, you know, there's a whole rally around the fag concept, you know, in times of crisis. But I think well-being is, is really where we're trying to understand. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, about that later. Um, so how are you and your team spending your time right now? Obviously not together, but um, but what are sort of some of the things that you're that you're being involved in? So the um, you know particularly in in response to the uh, to the crisis, I think a lot of people analytics teams around the world have tried to tried to provide data and ground decision making in the best intelligence available. Um, certainly, the Johns Hopkins database. Whomever is hosting that database wins wins the A plus award for uh, for for availability um, as well. But one of the nice things about uh, about the times we live in is we can incorporate public data into corporate data on in such a rapid scale that uh, you know, one of the things that we were able to uh, to produce rather quickly was a, an executive level dashboard that, that merged. Um, the public, the, the public data with with sets of internal data as well to help manage um, what what is what is the state of every single one of our facilities, um, where our employees. It incorporates badging data, um, incorporates HIPAA compliant um, uh, information, so that we can understand patterns of of employee quarantine as well to really help drive productive conversations. Um, with uh, with teams as well, and I can just imagine in times when we didn't have uh, when we didn't have information, even if the information isn't always in real time, being able to drive uh, drive decisioning based on patterns is it's incredibly helpful um, to to have that level of of intelligence, to have that level of business intelligence, and to have that level of of transparency, so that we can have conversations with employees, we can have conversations um, across across all of our seventy one thousand uh, members. Yeah, and I think it's it's been good to see that you know data really is coming to the fore with this, not just yeah. in, in inside companies. I mean, we've seen a lot of government decisions in different countries, and we don't necessarily get to individual countries, otherwise we could be here all day. But you know, we've seen that most countries around the world are, are, are basing their decisions as we move through this crisis on data and science. And that seems to be the same in organizations, particularly those that have invested in the in people analytics teams and those people analytics teams yeah. have developed that stakeholder equity already within their within their relative yeah. respective organizations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you know what's interesting to uh, to to this situation is it is not one instance. So depending on where we are in the world, it manifests differently. So we're in different stages uh, everywhere. So from a from an organizational standpoint, it also uh, it also um, asks us within HR to drive decision rights into uh, into appropriate spots around the world. It is only in the country that you really understand the dynamics of what's going on, the, the specific regulations inside of the country too. So the, the logistical challenge of being 
of, of driving decision making through uh, through data um, in in multiple channels, and then getting that into the, into the best hands to that can make the right decision for for employees based on what our priorities are. You know, I've I've been spending so much of my time thinking about um, how we spend our time, and and I've tried to rank our priorities as where you have discretionary time as an analytics team working on topics that benefit our employees to keep them safe, healthy. Um, that's number one. If you have a choice, that's where you spend it. The next tranche is in critical operations and supply chain as well. Let's, in, let's help ensure that if we can detect something that we can, we can pass the pass messaging along and make sure that they're, they're okay. And then we move into, into regular operations. Yeah. And I think, I think it's good to see that focus really. And we, we talk a lot about, um, people data being used for good um and and ultimately i think that that's something that will help the field continue to progress it's yes we want to help executives make better decisions um, but we also want to provide value to to employees it is their data or it's their data that they're providing after all um that leaves on quite nicely you, you talked um obviously in the opening uh, question you talked about well-being and now what are the sort of work that your team's doing around employee listening of of what is your newly remote workforce and and are you using active and passive data sources to, to do that? Yeah, um, yeah I, I couldn't be proud of our of our team. So Joran uh, Hulin, who runs that team for us, is is a very, very sophisticated thinker in uh, in these in these areas. So what we've done is um, is incorporated uh, both um, both kind of just weekly question based uh, pushes of, of data that we actually serve two purposes for us. One is it helps us get some intel and information, but you know, in, in times like this, sometimes asking a question can also send a message too. So by asking a single focus question of how are you faring and what, and what, what has benefited you the most, it also does project something that I, I truly feel, which is, we want to know and that you are benefiting and that you are okay in, in doing that too. So where we can both incorporate listening with messaging, um, we find that to be uh, quite helpful. Um, we do have a, uh, we, we do look as well in a, um, in a very um, uh, appropriate way at our social, our internal social channels and where we can pick up patterns, we, we do. And then we, we try to help um, unlock a roadblock. So we found we found an instance where there was a technology issue in one part of the world as well. It seems like it wasn't detected as well. So we were able to get that messaging um, on to kind of help to, to unlock value as well, or, or even just talk to senior leadership and, and help them really understand the extent to which um, the crisis is being talked about, and it, particularly in a company that is kind of, it is a focal point for um, for for medicines that, and particularly vaccines as well, you would expect that would be highly engaged in this topic, and we are highly engaged in this topic. And you know, particularly content that that seems we that we get a lot of reactions on include um, our own employees that have have taken themselves offline from their day jobs and volunteered either in a hospital or uh, or, or in a clinical setting of of some sort. Um, the uh, one, one of the underreported facts inside of pharmaceutical companies is we have a lot of, of uh, medical doctors and we have a lot of nurses that work in, inside of inside of the organization. And so when this happens, there's been multiple, multiple stories and kind of instances of 
folks kind of just saying, hey, look, I need I need volunteer time. I'm heading to the hospital in full in, in full yeah. gear. And it's interesting because the, the passive doing the passive analysis or the passive listening helps you, as you said, identify issues that you might not otherwise pick up from active surveys and also highlights things that you might want to ask deeper questions on through the next survey or something. So they, they, the two really do flow together, don't they? They, they do. And it's, it's, I, think, I think everyone is, is learning how to, uh, how to listen more deeply um, to, uh, to thousands of voices um, as well, and doing that in a way that is, that is appropriate and that is comfortable and that is with the intent of help. That, that's, that's the critical path for me to make sure that uh, that we're, we're moving the company forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, you talked you talked about it again earlier, but we've been hearing a lot about COVID-19 as an accelerant to, to digital transformation and, and the future of work, almost like, a, a, as you said, like an accelerant or a catalyst, really. What do you think has changed for organizations and, and specifically the work of people analytics teams? Mm, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I've noticed that uh, this era has been a, a time of challenging assumptions and then essentially having necessity drive some types of innovation. So on the, on the challenging assumptions notion, HR organizations around the world, and it's so wonderful that, that as, as, as a uh, discipline, um, I've noticed more collaboration across HR uh, organizations and public forums to kind of just get the messaging out of what are you doing? How are you thinking about that? Um, ideas from big box retail we can use inside of, or we can use inside of a corporate setting and back and forth so, so quickly. So this idea of, of, assum- of challenging assumptions becomes absolutely critical where um, before uh, there was maybe a hiring manager, I'll just use a specific case, maybe a hiring manager said there is no way this individual, a new hire, couldn't do that job unless they were in a specific location. So now let's evaluate that and really understand, was it true? You know, did I need to be physically there to do that role? And, and I think for many types of roles, we're seeing that of course the, the, that that challenge that assumption can be challenged, and that it, what what we can open up in terms of our, our labor our, our labor pool and talent pools to find the best talent around the world that can do a specific um, uh, a specific role or lead in a specific way. Why wouldn't that be part of of, of what we of, of what we incorporate? Um, it's so interesting uh, in in the downtime when we're uh, when we're, we're not working and certainly watching enough Hulu and Amazon Prime to see the commercials too. And the number of commercials for Slack and Microsoft Teams is just astronomical. It certainly is the moment in which collaborative software uh, seems to be the case. And, and, and I do hope that, um, that, the, that the ideas in collaboration for those that weren't already on uh, on some type of, of collaborative tool can use that uh, use that as 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 they go forward and it kind of it, it focuses me on a question and that question is even though this is a difficult time are there are there aspects that we wish to keep afterwards and uh, it's I think it's important for all of us to articulate what that might be now because as we all hope the, the, um, the era subsides, 
and that we can return to more of a daily routine, we will normalize to that too. So by asking ourselves the question, what do we get to keep now, we can help to uh, lock in um, a few benefits out of not a great situation that um, that we'd like to work, that we'd like to see in the future. And it'll be and, and obviously, people analytics teams will be measuring the effectiveness or otherwise of these. So, exactly. with all the, I mean, obviously, there's been you know reasonable steady growth in use of passive network analytics over the uh, over the last few years, and I know some companies are doing more of that than others. You know, but with the growth in Teams and the growth in Slack, the growth in use of Zoom. Um, as well as all the emails we get every day, you know, we can understand a lot around communication patterns and, and, you know, burnout, uh, isolation, collaboration, all those sorts of things. So I think there can be some interesting work we'll be doing in the future. And that will support, I guess, our our workforce planning and uh, workforce location planning as well, I guess, in the future. Yep. And, you know, not not to endorse any specific platform on on this, but I've been thinking uh, much more lately about who is that analytics for? So if you're using Slack, if you're using Teams or any of those any of those tools, um, it's, it's wonderful that some of those personal statistics and those, that personal data is made available to me as a direct contributor or as a leader so that I can see the results of some of my actions. And you know, the the number of collaborations I have doesn't tell me about the quality of collaborations, certainly. You know, one, I'll, I would take one great idea, and that was my only collaboration of the day versus 20 that weren't so great, right? So we haven't gotten to that point yet of assessing what's the, what's the and thank goodness uh, for it. But um, the degree to which we can unlock the data for employees so that they can experience it for themselves, not for judgment and not for not for evaluative purposes, but for themselves. What a great benefit that some will take that up. Some may not. And that's that's great, too. But if you can take it up and absorb that and, and use it for yourself, I think this is it's just a wonderful, um, a wonderful new opportunity. It's, it's certainly going to be interesting. And that leads quite nicely on to when we sat down. At the start of February, it really does seem a long time ago, and it really wasn't. Um, we, we spoke about the role of empathy in analytics. Um, you know, what has COVID nineteen taught you about analytics and empathy together? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, what, what's so interesting on empathy in this era is I, I've been thinking a lot about great leadership and the the times in which our leaders are really connecting with our employees. And the times in which externally, so on LinkedIn, you'll see leaders posting messages that are kind of for for employees, but are posted on LinkedIn too. And uh, it, it made me kind of it made me look at the the qualities that that we use in industrial psychology and assess what does great leadership look like in the time of COVID. And I think where what my hypothesis is right now that I, I hope we will test shortly is it looks a lot like greater, great leadership did beforehand too. Great, great leadership is vulnerable. Great leadership is transparent. Its frequency and dependability are high in working in that way. So just because we happen to be projecting that leadership through um, for many folks, if you're working, if, if you're working physically, then you're working physically. For others, you may be projecting that leadership through a small square on a computer screen. 
as well. But that medium of the small square on the computer screen doesn't change how we how we should think about the analytics work. It shouldn't it shouldn't affect us as leaders on how we uh, on how we try to inspire others. So those the, those kind of those components I think have a large impact on leadership assessment how we're how we're thinking about um, how we're thinking about inspiring and directing and goal setting and all the different wonderful ways in which world class leadership manifests. That is just as important today, more important in some ways um, than, than it has been before uh, beforehand. And this is the stuff that we all know, we've, we've spoken about on so many occasions, that is just part and parcel of, uh, of great leaders working today. It doesn't cost us one more dollar to project empathy and, and then look at what the effect of that is as well. And, the, and this is certainly a time where, where it's valued. And I think what we need to do, be doing more of in analytics as a whole, as a field really, is, is actually showing the value of empathy to, to employees, but also to the, to, to, to the business. And I think, you know, and I guess it's easier to look at, because we all see the political leaders around the world, and we're not going to talk about any individuals. But I think it's what's clear is, I think you're right, I think it is the same leadership qualities that have always been important, are are important, in fact, more important in a crisis. But I think what it is doing is it's exposing some of those people that maybe don't have uh, some of those skills, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think empathy is, you know, I think, you know, that there can't be a coincidence. Okay, it's a small data set, unfortunately, but a lot of the female leaders around the world are, are, are perceived to have done a really good job during this crisis. And some of the let's just so we say less empathetic or who appear to be the less empathetic uh, political leaders appear to be doing not such a good job. And I, uh, you know, maybe that's that, that, that will help us in, in, in businesses as well, when we come to, you know, choosing our leaders and, and, and seeing the ones that, that really add value both to the business, but also to the, to the workforce as well. So, yeah, I think this is a topic that we'll be talking a lot more about on in the coming years. Um, so, from speaking to many of your peers in the world, both both as part of the work we do at Insight Two Two Two, but also others outside that, you know, it's clear that people analytics teams like like yours at, at Merck's have been in the spotlight in response to the crisis. You know, do you think people analytics will continue this trend as we emerge into the next normal? I think that our goals inside of uh, inside of a human resources function of data driven decision making it hasn't changed. And for, for those of us that are lucky enough to work with leaders on data-driven decision-making, that's not going to change either. Um, the, the crisis was, is certainly dramatic, and many, many organizations, essentially in so many different ways, stepped up to the challenge of the crisis itself. Uh, for, for any function, our goal is to be decision useful and right for the time, fit for the time in which we're living now. So when we, the, the lesson that I hope we learn from all of this is not, isn't people analytics so valuable, shouldn't you use more of it? I hope the lesson that we learn is that strategic decision-making will continue to have an enormous talent component to it. And that enormous talent component can have uh, value added through uh, natural data, natural insights that can be provided 
along uh, along the way. Um, the uh, I was just listening to something where they were observing um, the. Oh, actually, I'm going to cite you. In your last podcast, when you're talking about about uh, about the Adabos, right? Uh, where the if the increase in the number of CHROs attending Davos has is on the increase, that that is a signal of uh, of of at least on the international stage something that's always been known inside of corporations of, of the strategic importance and value of of, of human capital. That that will just in, will accrue over time as well. So this might be an instigating event. It certainly doesn't have to be. But the things that we have under our control as HR leaders is, can we enable this trend? Can we enable better decision-making through maybe that one insight, that one data-driven insight that's just going to accelerate us further? That's, that's the promise and hope that I'm, that, that I'm rooting for. Well, hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later. And um, I mean, I think this crisis is set to continue for the foreseeable future yet but um you know but we'll we'll be seeing each other like this for a while i think yet yeah, jeremy but thank you so much for for, for joining uh, the, the the show again you know how how can people stay in touch how can listeners keep in touch with you and follow you on social media yep so uh, please uh, linkedin is probably my my most uh, expedient um, uh, as well, we do have a Slack channel uh, that we use for uh, for that New York analytics meetup, um, which uh, which is there. But I, I listen to both, so uh, please anytime. You know, particularly in in times like this, we're all supporting each other, so we're here for each other. Well, thank you for continuing to do what you do, Jeremy. And I know you've been pretty visible during this crisis, joining some of the other public uh, forums as well. And I think people value your input you know you've been in this space for a long time and you're one of the you know the most respected leaders in it and deservedly so and thank you for the nice shout out for uh the podcast uh, just for those of you listening if you want to find the one that jeremy was referring to it's uh, from ravin jesuthazen uh, and it's around uh the the work that he did with the world economic forum in some of the future skills required in hr jeremy it's a pleasure as always thank you very much thanks for having me Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next time when, in a role reversal, and to celebrate our first anniversary of the podcast, I'll be in the hot seat answering your questions. So you might not want to miss that one, And yes, I'm extremely nervous about that. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.